Your journey as a Navy family can be exciting and fulfilling. It can also be confusing and stressful. For all your challenges and triumphs, from how to thrive during deployments to navigating TRICARE, Naval Services Family Line has been your go-to resource since 1965. If you're living the Navy life, this podcast is for you. Join us as we discuss ways to navigate this Navy life together and define what it means to be a modern Navy family. Each episode will explore a specific topic about living the Navy lifestyle, introduce great resources, feature a Navy spouse who's rocking our world, or dive into the heart of our Navy traditions. Whether you are just starting out on your Navy journey, at the halfway point, or approaching the end, we know one thing is certain. We We are are better better together. together. Welcome to Our Navy Life and our third and final episode in our series exploring mental health challenges in the Navy. In our previous two episodes, we chatted with Shelly Boner, Navy spouse and mom who lost her son to suicide, and Lieutenant Dale Hirsch, a research psychologist at the Navy Leadership and Ethics Center who works with Navy leaders on how to combat the mental health crisis in the Navy. And today we're chatting with Heidi Dinayal, whose family's story is the epitome of how the stress and challenges of Navy life can impact our service members and their families. There are some issues with the audio quality in this episode, but we promise that if you stick with us through the end, you'll be grateful for Heidi's vulnerability and for sharing her story. Now over to Sergio and Kalisha. Hello, and welcome to the show, Heidi Dindal. Please tell our listeners about you, your spouse, and how long you've been a Navy spouse and where you currently live. So um, thank you for having me. My name is Heidi Dindal. I am a Navy, active duty Navy spouse and Navy veteran. Um, we are currently stationed here in Hampton Roads. Um, my husband is stationed at Oceana Damnuck Annex, and we have been together this year. It'll be 20 years. I met my husband when I was active duty and we have navigated this military lifestyle together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for your service. I mean, first and foremost, thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you for being a part of this important discussion today. We invite you to share some of your family's experience with I thank you once again for allowing me to be a part of this. I think it's an important, my family's experience to this point has been, my husband and I met and 2002, uh, we were married. He was on a high op tempo in the military, you know, constantly deploying, being gone. We had a short duty, but I got punked. It wasn't really a short duty. <laughs> he went to like a 3M team and, and he came home and he's like, I'm going to be traveling a lot. I'm like, what? This is supposed to be short duty. So we didn't really ever have like a true pause in the, the Navy career to get to where we're at. 2019 was really like, a triggering point for him and a turning point in his career. He had a sailor die. Uh, the sailor had spoke to him on the phone and then the sailor took his own life. During that time, my husband was the FAP coordinator. The sailor's spouse wanted to have a meeting with leadership. And so they brought the spouse on board without going into too much detail. Uh, she looked my husband straight in the eye and blamed my husband for her husband's death. So I didn't really know any of that, honestly. So, you know, where we were on the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower um, during that time and we were preparing for deployment. So the deployment cycle is pretty vicious. Um, 
It's, it has a high op tempo. They're, they're coming in, they're coming out. It's just a, a rigorous schedule. And so I noticed a change in my husband, but I didn't really know what it was because he, he told me he had a sailor pass away, you know, but I didn't know the magnitude of what exactly had happened. And so we get to the end of 2019 and he's getting ready to deploy in January of 2020. And our marriage was like all over the place. Like it was a hot mess. It was, it just had like went downhill because he just kind of like would come home and isolate. And I really didn't understand why, but you know, when you look back on things, you're like, that made so much sense. So then, you know, January, 2020, he deploys on the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower. He went on deployment and COVID happened. So they weren't allowed to stop at any ports. They were on the ship um, from January until I think like the beginning of August is when they came back. And so, you know, they left and life was normal and they came back and life was just completely different here in America. So that was a huge challenge being on deployment and being stuck on a ship. It did a lot mentally to a lot of the sailors, not just him. He said that it didn't matter what your rank was. It didn't discriminate because everyone was stuck on that ship. And even when they gave them days off, you know, it really wasn't like a true day off because you're going to the birthing and you're still seeing the same people. 2020 happened. He did the deployment and then, and they were getting ready to deploy again. And so, um, I was due to go to, to shore duty and they extended his orders in November of 2020. We had just finished eating dinner and he walked into our hallway and he just like collapsed. And I thought he was having a heart attack. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and it wasn't his whole entire right side of his body just completely like gave out the medical. They gave him um referral for neuro- neurosurgeon and we went to the neurosurgeon. The neurosurgeon told him like, okay, well, um, you know, you have a lot of nerve damage um, from a prior injury when he was um, on another ship. And he's like, in six months, you're not going to be able to pick up a coffee mug if you don't get surgery. And so my husband's in this deployment mentality. You know, you don't want to leave your people behind. He really wasn't hearing what the surgeon was saying. Like, in six months, you're not even going to be able to pick up a coffee mug. He was just like, okay, so I can go on deployment and then do the surgery afterwards. And the neurosurgeon's like, no, you have to pause in your career when you're on this like train and it's like speeding and then somebody slams the brakes, it's like, what just happened? Right. He ended up staying behind, had a, a, a triple neck fusion. We prepped for this. We did everything right. He had the surgery. His recovery was like amazing. I mean, so he went for his one year um physical in March of 22 and everything was good to go. But um I guess going back a little bit prior to that, um, he had the surgery. He also, in the mix of that, had some stuff going on with like on um, on the ship with like sailors, you know, deaths that occur and things like that. Um, so all these things were just kind of like compiling. And then he had the surgery and he was doing good. He had a little bit of like um post-surgery depression, which was pretty common for for you know. Uh, people in general that have surgery, but everything was fine. Was doing great. Transferred, went to a new ship, uh, was doing great. Everything was good. And then in March of 2022, 
my husband was in a car accident and he was driving to work at 5 a.m. in the morning and a car rear-ended him. For anyone that that would normally happen to, you wouldn't even think twice because you'd be like, okay, I was rear-ended, like no big deal. But for someone that's had a triple fusion in their neck, when you get hit with the magnitude and the force, your neck's not going anywhere. It's locked. So that was pretty huge. And he started having severe pain, pain that he'd never experienced before. Like even post-surgery pain was not even the magnitude of the pain he was having after that car accident. He would literally just like come home from work and go sit in his, his man cave and just stay there. He wouldn't come out. And so this is when life got really real. <laughs> you know, um, this is the messy part. It's like a month into this car accident issue. He just came downstairs one day and he had like this like blank stare in his face. When I tell you blank, like I've never seen my husband loss of life, like nothing in his soul, you know, it's just like darkness. And, um, and I had taken, uh, assist training at my previous command that I had worked at. The chaplains provided that. I took that training and it makes you really uncomfortable in that training, but like it prepares you, but you never are prepared to have to use it on your spouse. Right. Right. So I said to him, like, do you feel suicidal? And he didn't respond. He was just like quiet. I was like, oh man, like, you know, like, did he not hear me? Like, what's going on? And um, so I said it to him again. I'm like, do you feel suicidal? And he's like, I don't want to live anymore. And I, and I remember that day to tea when he told me he didn't want to live anymore. I made him call Fleet Family. By the grace, um, provider was able to get him in. Because there's a stigma around mental health. You don't go to the emergency room when you're having a mental health issue. You keep it inside and you let it manifest internally. And that's just, that's just what they do. The service members across the board and it doesn't discriminate what branch of military you're in, what your rank right. is. Like that's what they do. They internally manifest it. That day was like a turning point in our family. Um, a really long journey. So he ended up going to the um, fleet family. They got him in, you know, um, they assessed him if he was actually truly like in crisis mode in that second. And he didn't have like an active plan, wasn't like ready to actively harm himself. Once they identify you like as, as not actively like suicidal, then you can go home. You know, they gave him medication. That part was rough because they had him medicated. Uh, he was like a zombie, just a walking zombie, but he because he was so heavily medicated. And then at that point, like he went back to his neurosurgeon because of all the pain he was having and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They didn't know what was wrong. And I remember just like sitting in the neurosurgeon's office. She was phenomenal too. So nothing against her at the Naval Hospital and, you know, telling her like, my husband's life is worth more than the money that the Navy will give me because he commits suicide. And at that moment, like he just really couldn't advocate for himself. And so I had to be the advocate for him. And she just kind of looked at me and I had tears like streaming down my eyes. And I was just like, you know, we have to do something. There has to be something that can be done because he just is, he was just in pain all the time. And so they actually referred him to uh, a pain clinic at Naval Medical Center, Portsmouth. And he went there and, and Dr. Wynn and, and, uh, Dr. Fedison, there's like a team, um, they did, a um, an RFA where they went in and burned his nerves and his neck. And it, it was like 
a saving grace. So the pain part was kind of like taken care of, but there was still this mental health aspect to it. So he started seeing the mental health providers. I know like a lot of people say like, and I've heard stories and I've seen it firsthand where people have been failed by the mental health system. Every person we've encountered in this journey in the military space, it's not always been clean and pretty. I'm not here to say that it's been messy and I've had to advocate for him, but they have listened. His military uh, provider, he has two, he has a therapist and then he has like a, a psychiatrist and they're, they're phenomenal. And like, they're trying to stay up to date with the new stuff that, that is out there. And, and basically what happened was the mental health provider broke it down was all along this like trail in the, in the career of his Navy, he's had all these like pivotal moments happen, whether it's like a sailor dying or getting injured or physically watching someone die and bleed out. He's had all these like pivotal moments. He constantly like stuffed it in and he was so desensitized to it and he compartmentalized it. And so when he had that car accident, it was such a detrimental moment that it just all surfaced to the top. It's a lot to com- compartmentalize. I mean, seeing my spouse go through something so tragic and, and I mean, you know, just to, just to think to myself, having a spouse come up to, to, to like my spouse and say, it's your fault. I, oh my God. And then you not even knowing that that had all transpired. Like, how do you support that? Like, how do you, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I had to jump in on this because it was, it's a lot. Like you mentioned, he, he went through so much. Yeah. You know, and it's, it is. And you don't realize it. Like, you know, your, your spouse comes home and they're like, I had a good day at work or it was an okay day. Like we never really talked about, like that was one of our, our rules, right? When we came home, we left work at work. And so all these things I really didn't know had transpired. It was affecting our marriage like greatly, but I just thought, I was like, wow, like, you know, people fall apart. Like after, <laughs> after 15 and 20 years, they're like, wake up one day and they're like, I don't really like you anymore. Like. <laughs> So I didn't really know, you know, I knew we were good and then we weren't good. It was a lot to process and I never had patience. Like I was always very like, I'm an impatient person. This has been a learning journey for me, um, you know, just having to become like a care provider. One of the things that military spouses are so good at is like not talking about the realness, right? Like we talk about all the highlights of life. But we don't talk about the nasty, real parts that are all of us are affected by. We put that face on because that's what we learn to do. We learn to, you know what? <laughs> Everything's good here. My kids are good. Life is good. Like you just strap your boots up and keep it moving. I think sometimes I think sometimes we tell ourselves that just so we could believe it as well, because we're trying to convince ourselves that everything is good. That is so true. Although there's fire in the background and storms on this side. We're telling ourselves everything yeah. is good. Everything is good. Yeah. And um, you mentioned, um, which, by the way, that your husband went through a lot listening to his story and everything that transpired over the time leading up to, the, I believe you said it was in March 
That was a lot. And you mentioned you guys um, immediately went out to find resources in Fleet and Family. Were there any other resources that you feel helped you during that time? And do you feel that your spouse um, kept it in for so long out of the stigma associated with seeking mental health resources within the military? Do you feel like he held it in and maybe kept it from you longer than he should have because he didn't want to seek the help because of that stigma? So I actually asked him that. I was like, you know, why, why didn't you talk about this with me? And he said, honestly, he's like, when you have all these little things happen, you don't even have time to mourn or to be sad or think about it because all you're doing is thinking about the next move, the next thing. And my husband, um, his rate is ABE. So he works on a flight deck. You don't have five seconds to not have your head on a swivel to be thinking about what's the next move because so many lives are at stake. Um, so like for him, what he said was like, it wasn't so much that he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't have time to think about it because you have to be strong for your sailors. When you, ha- when your first class kills himself and your entire division and your department is mourning. Yeah you don't have time to take a break and pause and say, you know, I'm sad too. You got to put on that face and be like, I'm strong. And, and is it right? No, it's not right. But I think the military teaches you so many different things. They prepare you for so many different things, deployments, you know, um, TDYs, uh, everything. We're, we're constantly being taught like what to prepare for, but they never prepare you for mental health. No. We're all, we all look at things differently. Like you mentioned, he felt the role where he had to continue to be the stronger one, be the bond that kept everybody together as everybody was struggling with their emotions, not realizing that he too was struggling with his emotions and he just couldn't share and say, I'm hurting. Like I I need this because he wanted to represent. And I think we all go through that when we're grieving and struggling with things. I mean, I did it with my family when my sister had passed and it's like, you're, 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 you're having to be that backbone and that support because if you break apart and everybody else is breaking apart, who's focused on making sure things get taken care of. So I can see where he was, he would struggle with, with making that happen. I mean, I feel your passion when it comes to mental health and advocating for it. Do you feel like spouses and the Navy community are as educated on how to respond to mental crisis? Honestly, I don't think so. And I don't right. think it's, I don't think it's a fault to the Navy and I don't think it's a fault to spouses. (laughs) I think we know it's there, but we don't train people for it. Like having spouses go and take an assist class. I feel like just even looking at military spouses, like the stuff that's available, it's all the roadblocks. That's all you hear about. Like I can't even get a provider for myself, you know? So they focus so much on the roadblocks that you really can't even see past that. There's just not enough awareness. Because where we come from, we all come from different places and, and not everybody's parents are, or their families are susceptible to be like, you know what? You have a mental health issue. Let's get you the help you need. Um, out of that point, just, um, bringing awareness out there. So do you have any, um, thing that you want other Navy families to understand from your experience that can maybe help them in their own lives? Some people come from families that are like, come on, man, like mental health, really? Like, I'm going to need you to man up, you know? So it's a lot of that too, how how the people are raised, how people are brought up. Like, 
There's so many different, um, you can't really pinpoint one thing because there's so many different things, different facets that are brought into this that in my heart, I honestly believe the military could do a lot better job at, at training because everybody has, you know, pillow talk, like how my husband acts at home is not how he acts at work. So, you know, you know, that change, you feel that change. And I think if they prepare people for those things to look for or, you know, like train them, I think it could help a lot. You know, I think that's a huge and major takeaway for for this episode is ask, open your mouth, ask. And like you said, whether it's little or it's big, just asking might get you the answer you need. So then that way you can either bring down your your heightened senses of of response of responding or you know or having somebody you know jump in and say okay we need to take action so asking and asking the right individuals is very important because i can tell you right now bottling it up as as you've seen as you experience Heidi which you know i commend you on on your strength as a spouse to continue to support you know your active duty member while they were isolating, while they were struggling and trying to trying to be as supportive as you can, but without, you know, stepping on them and making them feel less than it's it's a it's a hard ball and a struggle to play. So I I commend you on your strength as well and what you and your family went through, because. I mean, so many of us were were caught in the middle of it and we don't know what to do because like you said, pillow talk is different than what they do out, out there on the in the fleet. And we hear all the, the good stuff, the life stuff. I mean, there's times where I tell my spouse, you know, I don't really want to hear it. And I need to be better at not telling her that because I should want to hear it because I don't want her to compartmentalize it either. But there's some things that they taught, they deal with and they, they, they're handling where it's just like, oh my gosh, like, you're, I don't, I don't want to have those stressors in my life, but then at the same time, I need to be better with my spouse and say, share so we can both go through it and talk about it and deal with it. So asking, I think for me, what you just said is going to be my key takeaway. And Sergio, I, I want to add to that the, the strength that it took you, Heidi, to ask that tough question. Are you suicidal? And I know that that was hard for you to even say those words to your spouse. And then, like you said, you had to ask them again. So having the strength to ask those tough questions as spouses is also something that we all need to take from this experience is that as hard as it is for them to speak about it, we have to. Yeah, also and she asked twice ask. and she got she got the response that he 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 responded and she he provided the answer. And then what she did is she took action. She took action. So asking, I think, Heidi. Your, your, your phrase about asking is going to be what yes. resonates with me for the rest, the rest of this, um, this journey through the Navy life. And, you know, I thank you so much for joining us today and being part of this important conversation. Without those willing to speak up about it, we can't ensure that our sailors and their families are learning how to better care for themselves and each other. So once again, I thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today, sharing with our listeners what you went through and how you were able to, you know, take action, ask and figure out what was needed in order to make your spouse still be here today. The biggest thing is to know you're not alone. Um, there are so many other people out there that have been going through the same thing that you've been going through and don't keep it inside. Like ask for help. If you are going through something, 
don't think whether it's too small or too big that that you have to go at it alone. Okay, folks. Thank you again very much, Heidi, for joining us. And I look forward to, you know, having more conversations about this. And hopefully we can bring you back on another segment and continue the talks about, you know, everything that happened after the fact and where you guys are now and what you believe were the key elements in, in turning this entire thing around and still being able to have your spouse here with us today. So thank you again. Thank you. Um, you know, if, if one life could be saved, like that's one, one that is a blessing, you know, I think that is my advocacy and my passion. And I've told my husband that like ever since we went through it, because when you're going through like a mental health situation, it's completely different from you hear about it, but you don't really understand it until you go through it. And then that's when you realize like, okay, this is real. So if one life can be saved. That that's a blessing. That concludes our series on mental toughness. As challenging as these stories are to hear, we hope that you found comfort in them and learned something from them. We are grateful to all three of our guests, Shelly, Lieutenant Hirsch, and Heidi, for coming on our podcast and being vulnerable enough to share these important stories. As Sergio and Kalisha shared, every life is important and we are all here to help and support one another. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis or just needs to talk to someone, please dial 988 and press 1 to talk to a representative from the Military Crisis Line. That's 988 or text 838-255. Navy life has its ups and downs, highs and lows, triumphs and challenges. But the one thing we know for certain is that we are better together. That concludes today's discussion. Thanks so much for joining us. To find more resources and ways to connect with your Navy community, visit our website at www.nsfamilyline.org. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook to keep the conversation going. You can find the links in the show notes. For more episodes to help you navigate your journey through Navy life, be sure to subscribe, leave us a comment, and we will see you next time.